Tonight's reading is Genesis chapter 37. So Genesis 37, starting at verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of corn out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered round mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. And he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They've moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. 
When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognised it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. What happens when family life goes wrong? Surely families should be there for one another. Yet we all know that family life is not easy. Sometimes we hurt the people we love the most. We begin this evening a new series in the life of Joseph. It's a study of family life gone wrong. Joseph is flawed, but he's an example to us of the life of faith. He's also a picture of the Lord Jesus. So this evening, Joseph's flaws, Joseph's sufferings, and Joseph's foreshadowing of Christ. Firstly then, Joseph's flaws. In verse 2, Joseph is a young man of 17. He's tending the flocks with his brothers and he brings a bad report about his brothers to his father. We don't know what this report was. Possibly it was entirely justified. Perhaps his brothers were misbehaving. Perhaps his father needed to know about it. But whatever the truth, Joseph alienates himself from his brothers by telling tales on them to his father. This alienation from his brothers is compounded when his father shows blatant favouritism to Joseph. Verse 3. Israel, that is Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he had been born to him in his old age. In other words, Joseph is the son of Jacob's favourite wife, Rachel. Jacob shows this favouritism by making for Joseph, verse 3, an ornate robe, sometimes translated as a coat of many colours. Unsurprisingly, verse 4, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Jacob and Joseph collectively create the circumstances in which Joseph is hated by his brothers. Then, to make matters worse, verse 5, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of corn out in the field, when suddenly... My sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered round mine and bowed down to it. 
I'm not sure what Joseph thought he would achieve by sharing this with his brothers. Actually, the dream was a prophecy from God. Joseph's brothers would one day bow down to him when he was Prime Minister of Egypt and they were in need of grain in a famine. The dream was a prophecy from God, but Joseph was very foolish to share it with his brothers. Verse 8, his brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. However, just to complete Joseph's alienation from his brothers, verse 9, then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. Verse 10. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. So, Joseph is gifted. He is a prophet. He's given insight from God. But he's very unwise in how he handles all this. He's only 17. He's immature. Perhaps we shouldn't expect any better of him. Nonetheless, Joseph's flaws are real, and they get him into great trouble. Secondly, Joseph's suffering. Verse 12. His brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And verse 13. Jacob sends Joseph to his brothers. Joseph is to check that all is well with his brothers in verse 14, and he is to bring word back to his father. So Joseph is sent off from the valley of Hebron in the south of Israel. When Joseph arrives at Shechem in the north, a kind person informs Joseph that his brothers have moved further north to Dothan. Joseph makes the additional journey of about 20 miles to Dothan and the brothers see Joseph coming in the distance. They are not pleased to see him. They hate him. He's always been their father's favourite. He's convinced they'll all bow down to him. And so, verse 18, they plotted to kill him. Verse 19, here comes the dreamer. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Joseph had been unwise, but he didn't deserve this. He didn't deserve to die. Actually, his brothers were touching the Lord's anointed. They were putting themselves in danger of God's anger. God did indeed intend that they should all bow down to Joseph. Verse 21, Reuben has greater wisdom than the others. 
Let's not take his life, he says. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this system, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben planned to rescue Joseph from the system and restore him to his father. When Joseph arrives, verse 23, the brothers strip him of his special robe. That's the first thing to go. They throw him into the cistern. There's no water in it, so he doesn't drown. Then, in the demonstration of their callousness, they sit down to eat a meal. They look up and they see a caravan. This doesn't mean what we mean by a caravan. A caravan was a convoy of Ishmaelites, in this case, ethnic cousins of the Jews. They are merchants taking spices, balm and myrrh to sell in Egypt. Judah, one of Joseph's brothers, has the idea, verses 26 and 27, let's not kill Joseph, let's sell him as a slave to the Ishmaelites. This was also a terrible thing to do. It's not as bad as killing Joseph, and the brothers agree to it. So they pull Joseph up from the cistern, and they sell him for 20 shekels of silver, a typical price for a male slave, to the Ishmaelites, who take Joseph to Egypt. Then, Reuben returns. He's been off on his own somewhere. He's devastated to find Joseph is not still in the cistern. He'd intended to rescue Joseph and restore him to their father. Reuben tears his clothes as a sign of distress. Then verse 31, they take Joseph's robe and they dip it in the blood of a goat. And they tell their father, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. Jacob then concludes, Joseph has been killed by a wild animal. This utter cruelty to Jacob causes him to mourn for Joseph. He refuses to be comforted. I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave, he says. And Jacob weeps for Joseph. Meanwhile, the Midianites, the Ishmaelites, sell Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So we've seen Joseph's flaws, but he doesn't deserve this level of suffering. He doesn't deserve to be sold as a slave. And in all this, we see finally Joseph's foreshadowing of Christ. As we go through this series, we'll see a number of ways in which Joseph foreshadows Christ. But for today we see, Joseph is unjustly treated. Jesus was unjustly treated. Joseph is delivered into the hands of enemies. 
Jesus was delivered into the hands of enemies. And we know, of course, Jesus, unlike Joseph, was not flawed. Jesus never sinned. He never made a mistake. He was entirely perfect. His suffering was even more unjust than Joseph's, vastly more unjust than Joseph's. Most strikingly of all, Jesus chose his suffering. He deliberately chose to leave the glory of heaven, to be born in poverty, to live a perfect life involving much difficulty. And then finally, he goes to the cross and he dies there in our place taking the punishment for the things we've done wrong that we might be forgiven for all our sin be put right with God and know that we're going to heaven Jesus achieves all this willingly because he loves us Joseph's story is a pale foreshadowing of all this well, let's think about some applications. We can learn from Joseph. It was not wise of him to share his dreams with his brothers. He should have seen that he would annoy them. He didn't deserve to be sold into slavery, but he was foolish and immature. We should seek to be wise and to be mature. We should seek wisdom by reading God's word and by praying. We can also seek wisdom from coming to church, listening to the teaching, coming to home group and being part of the fellowship. We find wisdom from our relationships with other Christians. We talk together, we share our lives together, we help one another to live for Christ. And hopefully this means we can avoid some of the immature and foolish mistakes which Joseph makes. Secondly, we can apply Joseph's suffering to ourselves. Hopefully none of us will be sold into slavery but we will suffer. We may suffer unjustly. Joseph's story is an Old Testament example of Romans 8.28 and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's a wonderfully comforting verse in all things, even in unjust suffering, God works for the good of those who love him. If you love God, if you know you've been called according to his purpose, God is working for your good, even in your suffering. Joseph 
very much experienced the good and sovereign hand of God in his suffering. He goes on to be given great responsibility as a slave, as a prisoner, and finally as Prime Minister of Egypt. God was in control at every step of the way. God was working out his plan for Joseph's life and for God's people generally. So much so that years later when Joseph is reunited with his family and they do indeed bow down to him, he does have great power over them. Joseph can testify in Genesis 50 verse 20 You intended to harm me but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God used Joseph's suffering to bring him to great power in Egypt so that he could save many lives. God used Joseph greatly to provide famine relief as we'll see in later weeks. And most importantly, this famine relief extended to Joseph's family. So Joseph was used by God to preserve the people of God. Without this preservation, there would have been no Jesus and no people of God today. And so I say, Genesis 50 verse 20 is like an Old Testament version of Romans 8.28. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So where are you in all this? Are you realising that you're a flawed person who still needs to mature? That's true of all of us to some extent. None of us is fully mature until that day when we stand before Christ and we are like him. The work of God's grace is completed. We are fully mature in Christ. Look forward to that day. Look forward to the maturity you will enjoy in Christ, which will be yours for all eternity. Perhaps this evening you are suffering. Perhaps you're suffering a great deal. Perhaps you're suffering unjustly. Well, Remember Christ. Remember how he suffered for you and for me. Remember his great love for us. Remember that Jesus willingly chose to suffer. He willingly chose to suffer for us on the cross. Do you know that you've been included in Christ's suffering? 
Do you know that he died for you? Do you know that you are one of his own? And if you are one of God's people, if you do know that Jesus died for you, then you can be comforted. Perhaps someone has intended to harm you, but God has intended it for good. You can say this evening, I know in my experience all things work together for my good. I may have been through terrible suffering, but God is still at work for good. God will work it for my good. God has a purpose for my life, just as he had a purpose for Joseph's life. God is working all things together so that one day I will glorify Christ. One day I, we, will be brought to maturity. We will know true maturity in this life and perfect maturity in the life to come. The Bible says we will stand before Christ's judgment seat and we will be like him. We will see him and we will be like him. 1 John 3 verse 2 And everything we've been through will be seen to be worth it. It will have been worth all our suffering to come to that place of maturity, completeness, perfection in Christ. And all the ways that we suffer now, all the evidences of our brokenness, will be just distant memories as we bask in Christ's glory and our own reflection of that glory. It will be worth it. Whatever suffering God is taking you through, it will be worth it. You will see God's hand in it you will see good coming from it. May God give each one of us the faith to believe this, to trust him and love him, to serve him all our days. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life of Joseph. And Father, we see ourselves in him. We see our own foolishness and immaturity. Maybe pride. But Father, we thank you that there came another who suffered unjustly the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he died on the cross 
and paid for all our sin, that we might be completely forgiven, and one day we might stand before Him and be transformed into His likeness, so that we are fully mature and complete in Christ, never to be foolish again. Lord, fix our hope on this, we pray. Grant us to live for Christ. Be with us as we go into this week. Make us your very own, who live for your honour and glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.